This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm Andy Santanello, Senior Military Behavioral Health Psychologist at the Center for Deployment Psychology. And I've got Jenna with me today. Hello, Jenna. Hi, everybody. Excited to be here. And we are excited to have Dr. Beth Twomley with us today. How are you doing, Beth? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm a neuropsychologist by training, and I'm a professor at UC San Diego. Uh, and I also do uh, most of my work actually in the VA. So I'm a VA rehabilitation research and development research career scientist. And I am the director of the clinical research unit of our Center of Excellence for Stress and Mental Health, uh, CSAM, which is also at the San Diego VA. Acronyms are actually, fun. Yeah, I'm just going to babble on a little bit more because um, I think more important than who am I and what do I do is, is the why. And so I really wanted to address that, why I do what I do. I do research because I really just want to help the most people that I can improve their functioning and attain their goals. So, um, so that's why I'm a researcher and I'm really happy with that choice. Well, I appreciate that. I think Jenna and I can both get behind that sort of value as well. Absolutely. Um, you, you, so many acronyms. That's one of the fun things about working in the VA and uh, working in the military is all the acronyms. Um, and another acronym that I wanted to throw at you is TBI. And I know you work a lot with folks who have TBI. So what is TBI? Sure. Well, TBI stands for traumatic brain injury. And it's been a condition that we focused on a lot in service members and veterans since the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. It became known as the signature injury of those wars. And there have been millions of traumatic brain injuries that have occurred in our service members. Some service members and veterans have told me that they've sustained more than 60 or 70 mild traumatic brain injuries. Wow. These are mostly because of um, improvised explosive devices, blasts, and of course, many TBIs or blunt force TBIs that could occur um, anytime someone has a, a blunt force injury to the head, whether they have a car accident or a slip and fall uh, or an assault and so on. And all of those events that you just mentioned um, typically are ones also that are potentially traumatic events that one might also go on to develop something like PTSD, for example, um, and imagine that individuals that you're talking about with TBI also might have some other comorbid or um, disorder, whether that's sleep problems or depression or PTSD uh, that our providers who listen to this might be more familiar with treating. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly right, Jenna. And um, what we have to remember about the military context is that these injuries do often occur in the context of a traumatic event. 
and we can't disentangle the trauma from the brain injury. So if, if these brain injuries occurred in civilian settings, you know, the vast majority of them are mild and we'd call them a concussion. And we would expect really complete recovery from a concussion within about three months. And, and many people recover much, much faster than that. But certainly within three months, we'd expect the vast majority of folks to be recovered from a concussion. But in our service members and veterans, we're not seeing that pattern. We're seeing that mild TBIs can result in much longer lasting uh, functional impairments, cognitive impairments, post-concussive symptoms, um, far longer than we would have expected. So, you know, far longer than that 90 days. So what we know is that when these injuries occur in the context of trauma, the trauma can really affect the rate of recovery. And so, so many of the symptoms uh, that are attributed to TBI really overlap a lot with post-traumatic stress symptoms. And so it's very difficult to disentangle which came first, what's playing the biggest role, what's most impairing, and so forth. And as you mentioned, these other comorbidities like sleep disorders, pain, um, particularly headache pain, can be very common and really affect recovery from both PTSD and TBI. So you get this sort of vortex of symptoms that seem to perpetuate each other. What would you say are some of the more common? So there's the actual traumatic brain injury, the injury itself. And then there are sort of the issues with recovery that happen afterwards. What are some of the more common, maybe cognitive issues that you're seeing service members and veterans who have sustained one or more TBI experiencing? Yeah, so what we hear about a lot is brain fog and cognitive fatigue. People just don't feel at the top of their game. They don't feel as cognitively efficient as they, they used to be. Uh, they talk about problems with attention, problems maintaining focus over long periods of time, trouble getting organized, getting started on tasks. Uh, they talk about trouble executing tasks. Um, and so imagine if you had a brain injury and it was sort of like getting an instant attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, maybe without the hyperactivity, <laughs> but um, imagine that context, that constellation of symptoms complicating your recovery. That's sort of what our, our veterans are describing. And I think that's really important for providers to hear um, because the kind of a follow-up question is, you know, why, why should we focus on treating these cognitive impairments? Uh, because I think sometimes we, we kind of have the sense of like, that's not my wheelhouse. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that, but because everything is so interwoven and then, you know, one is impacting the other, um, really having some concrete things that we can do to work on those help, help, help with those cognitive impairments can really also then support the work that we're doing, whether that's treating PTSD or, or, you know, doing CBTI for insomnia. So, but like what, if you were to kind of tell providers why this is, why should we focus on these cognitive impairments? Um, what would be some of the things you might point out? Well, we know that cognition has a lot to do with functioning. 
And when people have cognitive impairments, they're not going to be able to function in their life roles as they once did. So if they can't pay attention, if they can't learn and remember new information, if they have trouble with executive functioning and so on, they're not going to be able to execute all of the tasks that they need to do in whatever roles they're in, whether it's being a partner, being a worker, being a student, right? And so if they have trouble with cognition, they're going to have trouble in other domains. So I think cognitive health really needs to be prioritized alongside mental and physical health. And mental health providers are actually in an ideal position to do this kind of work. I always say you don't have to be a neuropsychologist or know much about how the brain works to be helpful to someone with a cognitive impairment and to teach them some strategies that can really help them improve their functioning. So that's why I tried to make some of the manuals that I've developed really easy. And they teach cognitive skills that most successful people use every day. It's not high concept stuff. And so I really hope to demystify that and give a lot of providers um, encouragement to give this a go. One of the things you just said was really important, and that was very encouraging to me because I'm not a neuropsychologist, and I have definitely worked with a lot of folks who have cognitive impairments, and I've had that exact thought. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if I can be helpful to this person because I don't have that specialized background and training. So you said that you don't have to be a neuropsychologist to be helpful. What sorts of things might be helpful for someone who's not trained specifically as a neuropsychologist to be able to do with folks um, who show up in their office and are dealing with some of these cognitive impairments? Yeah, so I think part of it is just teaching skills. And that's something that mental health providers do every day. They teach people new skills to improve their functioning and reduce their symptoms. So this is just a different kind of skill teaching, but it's all laid out in a curriculum. So if you've ever taught anyone a skill and you can read, you could probably do this. I can do both of those things. I think you can. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that specific because I think that's um, you know certainly. Um, we're going to reference the fabulous webinar that you did as part of our webinar series that folks can kind of get additional information. But um, this this treatment, the um, or the intervention, the CCT intervention, um, and CogSmart. Maybe you could kind of talk about what first of all, what does the acronym CogSmart stand for, and what are some of the components of of that intervention specifically? Sure. Yeah. So CogSmart stands for Cognitive Symptom Management and Rehabilitation Therapy. CCT stands for compensatory cognitive training. These are very similar interventions. So I, I kind of think of them as cousins. All of the strategies are the same. The packaging for them is a little bit different. So the CCT for TBI manual has a little bit more focus on stress management than the original CogSmart manual does. But other than that, they're very, very similar. And so the, the four domains that are the focus in each of these manuals are perspective memory, attention, learning and memory, and executive functioning. So there are four modules in each one. Can you give us um, an example of you know, what might be a, a key skill 
in at least a couple of those different modules, maybe not sure. all of them. Sure, I was, but, I was but, hoping I mean, if, you would ask that. Oh, good. So, yeah, let me let me just walk you through um, what we do. So the first module is perspective memory, which means remembering to remember or remembering to do things. And we put that first because we want people to remember to come back to session two, right? So they start with you, you want them to come back, right? So that's why we do this first. And it's really uh, a lot of organizational skills that are going to help them prioritize their treatment in a lot of different modalities, not just, not just cognitive treatment. So uh, we teach a lot of high level calendaring skills. So a lot of people say they use a calendar, but then when you look at it and have them show it to you, you can tell that it's really not going to be helpful. Or they say they use a calendar and then you say, where's the calendar? They say, oh, it's, it's at home. It's on my desk or oh, it's on my wall at home. Well, if it's not with you, it's not really going to be useful. So the calendar has to be something that you're willing to carry with you all the time, whether it's in your smartphone or a paper calendar, either one's fine, but it has to be something that you've got with you all the time. And from there, we work on really forming new habits to check the calendar every day, perhaps multiple times a day, depending on the person's level of activity. And possibly even setting alarms to remember to do things uh, and to do other tasks that they need to do. So that's that's first. And then we focus on conversational attention and we have a a strategy for that called LEAP. And it's another acronym. So people who have been in the military, as you point out, are very accustomed to acronyms acronyms, and they seem to really like them. Um, So we use that to our advantage and come up with a bunch of different acronyms. So LEAP stands for uh, listening actively. So for example, using eye contact and uh, an open posture, uh, eliminating distractions in the environment. So turning off the radio, TV, computer, whatever it is that's distracting. And then asking questions and paraphrasing to become a more active participant in whatever conversation this is. So those are the four steps that we teach for active uh, listening and attention during conversations. And then for task attention, we teach a strategy called self-talk, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's just talking to yourself out loud, uh, hopefully, as you're doing a task. And so this is really great for multi-step tasks. Um, Of course, if you're in a situation where you can't talk out loud, you can sort of sub-vocalize, and that's fine too. But the the idea here is to put um, some verbal mediation behind the task that's going to help you complete it. Then we move on to learning and memory. And really what we're focusing on here is encoding. So people with TBI don't tend to have rapid forgetting of information that they learn. It's not like Alzheimer's disease. Uh, They tend to have more trouble learning new information. And a lot of that is because they're not paying attention to it in the first place. And so if if you don't attend to something first, you can't learn it. Um, So those attention skills are really important. But then we also focus on a couple of skills to enhance um, uh, encoding. The two main categories of skills are to either reduce the amount of information that you need to remember. So you might do that by using an acronym, for example, or making a list uh, or making the information more personally relevant and meaningful. really enhances the the memory trace for that information. So if you can make 
make it funny or silly or um, emotionally meaningful in some way, it's really going to help you remember it later on. And then finally, our last module is executive functioning. Uh, we focus on a six-step problem-solving method. Uh, in this case, the steps are to define the problem and then brainstorm solutions, evaluate the solutions, select one, try it out, and then evaluate to see if it worked. So those are the six steps. It's pretty straightforward. We have a worksheet that puts all of this on paper. Uh, and makes it real clear. And then we also have some content on uh, planning for goals and deadlines. What I and what I love about that, you know, how how all of that is packaged together is it really is all about skills and it's so not pathologizing. And it's so um, you know, again, I, I think when somebody feels you know, so broken from having a traumatic experience and from, from having TBI and feeling like they can't do something, just really focusing on building these skills and getting some gains in that area, I imagine would also be so important as a step, you know, if you were to go on and then do like a trauma treatment, doing this first, or maybe even concurrently. And I know you've done some work looking at concurrent um, CPT, uh, cognitive processing therapy, um, and and using the CogSmart, I believe, or maybe it was CCT. Um, the, but I, I just think that's such a great foothold too. Like, let's get some of this under our belt and, and get some of these skills and imagine how much more successful you're then going to be in some of these tasks that we're asking you to do in your trauma treatment or some of the other interventions. So can you speak to sort of what do we do when there's both of these on board, like there's TBI and PTSD on board, um, and maybe a little bit about some, some of what you've learned doing the work with uh, cognitive processing therapy and working on... And I don't know if it was CCT or CogSmart that you combined with that. I apologize. Same thing. No problem. So, so the combined intervention that you're referring to is called smart CPT. So it's basically CPT or cognitive processing therapy for PTSD with some CogSmart strategies added in. Right. So it's a 12 week manualized intervention. It contains all of the elements of CPT and it contains a few extra um, CogSmart strategies to help support um, progress in CPT. Yeah. So that's, that's one approach. Um, obviously that's going to work real well if a provider is going to use CPT anyway. Uh, but if they're not, if they're going to use prolonged exposure or another intervention for PTSD, you could still add in some strategies to help support, um, learning and organization as the person is, is going through that treatment. Yeah. And so I, I really encourage clinicians, you know, take a look at the manual or there's a CogSmart app too. You could take a look at that. Um, or if you didn't want to do that, you could just go to the YouTube CogSmart channel and there's about 17 videos and you could just watch those. They're all real brief, um, but they really illustrate some of the skills. And then you can see what, what is your, patient or client doing? What are they not doing? What areas could they improve in? And this can be, of course, a, a collaborative discussion with the service user. And we'll definitely link to all those resources. Um, first, everybody should know that the, the manuals are available publicly um, for free. Which yes, is they're free. Phenomenal resource. So awesome. Um, but we'll make sure to link to the YouTube uh to, to the website, to the uh, where the manuals can be found and where the, the app is and as well as the um, YouTube. So one of the things I just want to highlight is although the you know we're talking about the skills in Cogsmart and CCT is pretty basic, 
they are really life-changing. And I'm thinking about not just folks who have experienced a TBI and have some cognitive deficits. Uh, you know, since you came and did that webinar with us, uh, you know, a month or so ago, I've been really starting to pay a little bit more attention to asking all of my clients, how do you keep track of your life? And it is shocking how many people say they have a calendar and like it's at home in a drawer or like, you know, they're using iCal or something and you ask to see it and it's just a mess. They're not actually using it. So learning to use even just some of these um, organizational skills can be really, really life-changing. And I think they play really, really nice with other EVPs. They're very easy to fold in. Like, for example, I'm thinking of working with someone who um, is dealing with depression. And maybe one of the things you're working on um, is activity scheduling and planning. You know, that's a perfect way to sort of integrate and use some of these cognitive skills. So, um, you know, the, the resources that you and your team have developed, I think can be broadly applicable in all sorts of clinical scenarios where you have folks who are maybe feeling like memory and attention, um, and cognition are part of the picture. So, Mm -hmm. so I wanted to, um, ask you, you know, for folks who are maybe, um, you know, who don't have that neuropsych background, but, you know, are definitely working with folks who have, some cognitive impairments and would like to, you know, maybe add some uh, work and skills training using CogSmart or CCT, what would be maybe a couple of pieces of actionable intels that providers can start to use right away to work more effectively with clients who have some of these issues? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I want to come back to what you said about this is pretty basic stuff. And you're absolutely right. It is basic. And yet when you ask about it, it can be quite revealing that people, even people who don't have a cognitive impairment revealed by neuropsychological testing, just aren't using these strategies. And what I really love also is something that that you said, Jenna, about these are skills that help you move forward. It's not pathologizing, right? We call this a class instead of therapy, even the therapies in the name. We often call it a class. And People really like to take a class to improve their skills. And they're kind of they're kind of tired of talking about symptoms and deficits. And so this can be a really uh, recovery-oriented approach for them. So just wanted to point that out. But yeah, let me um, let me talk about what I hope that providers can take away from this. So so one is just awareness that cognition is really important for functioning and interacts so much with someone's mental health symptoms, right? So Andy, you just brought up the case of uh, depression and trying to use some cognitive strategies to help schedule behavioral activation uh, to improve mood. This is all tied together, right? And so we make this point too, that when you use these strategies, it helps with stress level because you're not trying to keep so much in mind all the time, right? You've got an external place to put some of this stuff. And so that can be really helpful. Uh, But just paying attention to cognitive health and some of the cognitive factors that could be getting in the way of recovery. So looking at their calendar with them, just like you mentioned, Andy. So taking a look at it, seeing how it's working. Um, How do they organize their life? Do they have a list of tasks to do or is everything on a different post-it note in five different rooms of the house and they're never really going to get started on anything because it's not organized, right? So just 
sort of doing that real world type assessment of how they're organizing their life can be really revealing. And then you can see when they're not using some of the cognitive strategies that we think most successful people use all the time, some of these can be very easy fixes for them, right? And so so oftentimes I will help the person realize that, you know, this is something that could make your life a lot easier. It's not that hard to do. Why don't, why don't you give it a try and we can just experiment with it and see if it helps. So that can be a useful approach. But yeah, I, I hope that clinicians listening today have um, been encouraged to take a look at these manuals and see how easy some of the strategies might be to implement. And I also want people to know if they're interested in doing a little bit of this, that's fine. You don't have to use the whole manual. You don't have to read it word for word. You can just take a look at the strategies and use those as a jumping off point. And, you know, maybe you're just going to teach a client two or three strategies and that's fine. I love that. And I, I will admit that prior to starting the podcast, I might have said that I plan to use this with my teenagers at home. So I feel like <laughs> the implications are far reaching and certainly, um, you know, we want to, we want to be using these strategies for, um, you know, to, for the audience that they're intended for, for the people they're intended for. But I think again, all of us could benefit from uh, some time with these manuals and these ideas and, and improving pieces of this in our own lives. So uh, really relatable, easy to digest materials that were incredibly well developed. And again, I'm so happy that they're free and available to to everyone. Um, I didn't mean to cut up your if you were going to do your rehash of the actual Intel Andy. Well, um, I'm not tracking very well. I need to go through CogSmart so I can make sure <laughs> I can do better next time. Um, well, good thing we're recording this, right? Right. Well, that's totally. what were you saying, Beth? That it's uh, having that external uh, way of keeping track of things. Well, we have a recording. That's right. So it's all somewhere to, else. doesn't I, have to be in our brains. Exactly. I don't need to remember this. We're not system. doing active listening at all, Andy, right? We're supposed <laughs> right. to. Well, why don't we why don't we leap haha, to the end of our podcast? Um, Beth, thank you so much for joining us for second time in just a couple of months. We, we just love having you collaborate with us and um, we want to do everything we can to make sure that folks are uh, aware of the work you're doing. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great. Thank you. We hope you join us next time and we'll be sure to post all those resources in the show notes and do check out uh, to include the recording of the webinar if you want more if this was just a teaser and you want to hear much more about this, uh, the webinar is fantastic and has much more detail and information. So hopefully you can check out the recording of that as well. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.